0: If you're looking to buy or sell pre-IPO stock, SharesPost has a solution for you. Since 2009, SharesPost has transacted more than $4 billion in the top private tech companies. Proven, trustworthy, secure. Visit us at sharespost.com. It's almost that time of the year again. Disrupt SF is right around the corner and will literally be bigger and better than ever. We've outgrown the various piers that line the bay and have moved the show to Moscone West. Panels across two stages will include Alien Lee, Reed Hoffman, Ellie Wheeler, Ashton Kutcher, Ben Horowitz, and Priscilla Chan, just to name a few. Sounds like a great lineup to us. And because we love you, our dear equity listeners, we have a discount code just for you. Head on over to techcrunch.com events disrupt SF 2018 and enter code equity for 15% off the main ticket price. What savings? This week on equity, we're talking about the big Lyft Motivate deal, what's going on over at Airbnb, Automation Everywhere raises an enormous amount of money, and Jewel, what the cool kids are doing. Hello and welcome to Equity. I'm Crunchbase News Editor-in-Chief Alex Wilhelm. Matthew Lindley is off in a Tunisian rap battle today, but we do have Connie Loises, the Silicon Valley Editor of TechCrunch. Connie, how are you?
1: I'm well. It's nice to see you.
0: Good to be back here in the flesh and in the room. And we have a new friend with us today, Jay Doss, Managing Director of Sapphire Ventures, is in the house. Say hi. Hi.
2: Hello. I'm glad to be here.
0: Excellent, excellent. And uh, we're going to kick off with everything four wheels and two. Lyft, which was in the news last week, is back. And uh, they're apparently going for a cycling ride, Connie. What's going
1: on? That's right. So Lyft, as we talked about last week, had closed on $600 million in fresh funding. This week, the big news is it has acquired Motivate, which is the oldest and largest electric bike share company in North America. The terms of the deal were not disclosed, but earlier reports, including in the information, had pegged the deal at about $250 million. So it's a big deal. Uh, I mean, I guess maybe not so big compared with how much uh, Lyft has raised in the past, but it's also not entirely surprising because Lyft's most direct competitor, Uber, had in April, I believe, acquired a um, Motivate most direct competitor which is jump bicycles. So what do we think of this deal well, guys? Well Motivate
0: does the the Ford bikes and the city bikes, right?
1: Yes. It has deals and I think maybe like eight major cities and they sort of are all named differently. Because there's
0: literally a rack of these bikes outside the TechCrunch office.
1: That's yeah, just right, 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 right. right. Yeah.
2: But also there's Lime Bike, right? Lime actually started out as a bike company. But, True. And, and then, but and that's, then but
1: Lime's a much newer company. That's so right. Lime, I think, kind of came and came to pass like maybe last March or something. <laughs> that's right. After uh, being sort of, I think, talking to Motivate. And this other company, uh, Jump, which, again, is now owned by Uber, but used to be called Social Bicycles. I think Social Bicycles was sort of like – the the pioneer here That's right. then motivate entered the space then the lime guys were like hmm interesting <laughs> and, and <laughs> then then the
2: scooter stick took over yeah, right exactly. and then bird started out in santa monica and then you know lime kind of jumped into it and you know now all the bike companies like ofo and everybody is kind of entering into this market
1: right 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 That's it's right. it's pretty interesting do we think this makes sense so i don't these are not money making businesses the e bikes uh they cost a lot to make Um, so, you know, but at the same time, these companies don't really have a lot of choice. I mean, their clients are increasingly saying, you know, we want another option. We don't don't want to sit in, you know, congested city sitting in our Uber or Lyft. We want to be able to jump on a bike or a scooter.
2: If you look at one of the things is the last mile problem, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you ever travel on Caltrain, the single most thing that people talk about when they come to the city is how am I getting to work from the train station at that point, right? And people don't want to use Uber, you know, or Lyft, you know, the cars because it's expensive. So, you know, so they're all thinking, about should I use a bicycle or should I use, you know, uh, you know, a scooter or something like that? Right. And I think both both, uh, Uber and Lyft have realized that if they want to be kind of a ride app, They have to provide this last last mile connectivity,
1: right? And you know there are other reasons to do it too. They all want to be sort of delivery companies, right? Right. So this gives them another means to deliver goods and services. Yes, that's quite smart, actually.
0: So if if these companies have now gone, if you're Uber and Lyft, you started Mm. off originally with like black cars, you moved into lower cost services. Now Mm -hmm. you're bringing bicycles onto the platform. Mm -hmm. You're still missing the hottest thing in Silicon Valley right now, which is essentially scooters. So my my question is, we've seen these acquisitions relatively small ball compared to their valuations Mm -hmm. of of Uber and Lyft themselves, Uh, how long until either Uber, Lyft, deploy capital into one of the scooter companies or tries to buy one outright? I mean, we've seen these valuations explode in the last couple of months. Now, I don't know anything here, but I'm just speculating that they must have eyes on Bird and Lime like you wouldn't believe.
2: Absolutely. But the valuation of Bird and Lime is much higher than what Uber and Lyft have paid for these bicycle companies.
1: Right, right, right. Absolutely. So, But well, Bird especially, the CEO, Travis VanderZanden, has worked at both Lyft and Uber, so he probably <laughs> knows you know, a lot of the uh, executives. Of course, there's been a lot of turnovers, so who knows. But a third reason um, that these companies, I think, are gravitating toward the, the e-bikes is it gives them the chance to sort of tout their commitment to carbon neutrality. Because, you know, car or whoever owns the car, whoever's driving the car around, it's still bad for the environment. So this is sort of another wrinkle on the whole thing. Is
0: that a dramatic example of what we used to call greenwashing? <laughs> yes, yes. When people exactly. kind of go by and spray some green on their wall and say, look, we're, you know, we're a good company. <laughs> I mean, how many Uber drivers right now are sitting in traffic around the world just idling and blowing CO2? Eight <laughs> bikes and that stuff is not going to mitigate that.
2: Right.
0: Although they did spend $200 million for couple of bikes.
2: Um, but I actually think it's not about the greenwashing or anything like that. It's a really a different play, right? Because if you look at Uber and Lyft, they're really marketplaces. They really don't have any logistics capabilities and where they kind of, you know, if they start a new city, they have maybe five people go out there and you know do the marketing and get the drivers, you know, and, and start kind of the marketplace. The bike companies and the scooter companies are much more logistic place, right? Because you have to have deploy people to go pick up the bikes, mm-hmm. put them in the right places. You know, for the scooters, you have to figure out how to charge them, mm-hmm. how to fix them. These are capabilities that Uber and Lyft don't have. So in some ways, they're actually buying these capabilities, the logistic part of the you know of delivering and you know kind of managing all these these e-bikes and you know sc- uh, scooters. I think that's what they're trying to get.
1: That's interesting. But but in terms of, like, you know, like, on-the-ground deliveries, you know— Amazon, for example, there was a, this great story in the Atlantic recently about this woman who spent a day delivering packages for Amazon, and she pointed out how complicated this process is. There was nowhere for her to park her car right. when she approached a couple of doors in buildings, you know, at risk of getting a ticket outside. That's the right. businesses didn't open the door. She didn't know what to do. If you can have people biking or you know riding their scooters right. to, to to solve this problem, it's it's a huge you also know, anything
0: to get rid of congestion here in our beloved SF, mm-hmm. which is essentially one bit of gridlock with some crap on the sidewalk next to it. (laughs) always have to walk to TC, which pisses me off because it's pretty far because the scooters are gone. I can't find a bike. And (laughs) taking Uber or Lyft is too slow because I'm in Fidai. So I would just love to find some way to get a mile across the city and not have it be an awful experience. Do we
1: know if there are any sort of limitations on e-bikes as there were with scooters? So you know, longtime listeners know that there's no scooters in San Francisco right now. They took them off off the street. They're trying to figure out this permitting process. You do see the bikes, but I don't know if they've ever capped how many bikes can I I think
2: it's capped on how many bikes. You have to get a permit to put them up. So it is definitely capped. Okay, but if you look at the business model, though, you know bikes. The you know what when we looked at both Bird and and, and Line Bike, mm-hmm. uh, the business model actually for the bikes are not as good as for the scooters because it's a lot harder to move the scooter uh, the bikes around. And so you know when you have a bigger kind of uh, object that has to be left somewhere and you put it back to where its original space is. It's a lot more complicated. That's
1: interesting. Is it also because of the cost associated with the bike versus the scooter?
2: Yes, because you know you can you can you can send a truck around and pick the scooters up, and you can pick you know thousands of them in one truck and transport it. You can't do that with a. That's a a really
0: interesting point. But it's harder to cut the brake lines on a bike and throw it in the bay because scooters are much easier (laughs) to grasp because they're (laughs) small and they squeak. That's true. Actually, if you if you go to the tech office and please don't come here, that would be weird. But if you do, you stand in front of the building and watch the bike rack for a while. A van will come up and rebalance them. So to your point about you know know um the logistics play they did buy some of that ability now Now, it's not the same scale as the scooter companies but at least they'll have some of that dna injected into their their businesses because we think we all agree in the great scale of things these bike companies are not going to be revenue accretive in the short term at the scale of uber and lyft like these are different plays they're not like just tack on some revenue to the side
1: you know one thing that's really interesting about all of this is the company that's providing the scooters which we haven't talked about But there have been reports. I think maybe, again, in the information um, might have been the first or the Silicon Valley Business Journal. But there's this company, uh, what is it called? Segway Ninebot. So this company, I think, is maybe like five years old, based in Beijing, bought Segway a couple of years ago. They were already making um, some sort of scooter that was not a toy. It was sort of like an actual, you know, they were selling it as a, mobility play um they're doing a better job of segways i think they've reduced the size of segways and i think they've sold like a million of these but they're also making these scooters and apparently they're making them a lot better than anybody else and so all the companies uh lime spin uh, oh, Bird. Spend, that's right. Yes. I forgot about spin. They're all using these scooters. And the company has raised $240 million already. And right. I think it's valued at like $1.5 billion. And some of its backers include Xiaomi, uh, the Chinese giant, uh, Sequoia Capital. I can't remember who the others are. But apparently the CEO is heading over here right now to talk about fundraising. Again, they're going to raise $200 million at a slight uh, uptick to their valuation, so $2 billion. Yeah. But I just think it's sort of interesting. Like, do we are we not paying enough attention to the company that's actually manufacturing these does yes. doesn't manu- yes yes <laughs> I absolutely agree yeah, with yeah. you yeah.
0: That's why I'm glad you brought this up. I mean, who would have thought that Segway would somehow make a resurgence after I being know. sold isn't it, isn't it and then powering VC dollars and pumped through Bird?
1: You know what's like even weirder? Segway was suing these guys in Beijing <laughs> because they had like a for, for patent infringement, and somehow it all worked out okay. where they you know bought the company and other.
0: It's like when you meet someone and you argue over a parking spot, and then you get married. Is that the <laughs> equivalent like of that. that, right? Right. Right. Um, but as a quick, we got to move on to something else. Okay. But um. Did you guys hear that? Spin the company yeah. is raising like 125 million in the security yeah. token offering.
1: Yes, I do just do not. Have that's when I just about wanted about to go back to yet. bed.
0: I couldn't. <laughs> I, the, the, the nexus point of scooters, blockchain, security, just, <laughs> it was too much for me. I couldn't, I couldn't write about it because I didn't want to vomit on my keyboard. Well, well so. you
2: know, that was one of the things, right? They were going around only trying to raise 25 million and, you know, we thought, oh, they're do- trying to do this in a much more efficient way rather than kind of, you know, dominate like what Lime and Bird are trying to do. And then all of turns a sudden, it turns out <laughs> that, you know, look, you know, like if you are uh, riding a scooter out in San Francisco and some ICOs come along, wouldn't you really buy something like that? Yeah. Saying that, hey, it's a big market and I have an opportunity to kind of, you know, participate in what they're doing. So I think that's what they're tapping into.
0: But I think Spin is just kind of, the way that I see the market right now, There was like, there's Uber and Lyft and Sidecar. That's right. And it's kind of like Bird, Lime and Spin. Yeah. Like I feel, it feels like the third wheel that'll fall off and we'll have a two-seater again. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, we need to move on to Airbnb, which is uh, back in the news. Uh, they're not going public, sorry, spoiler alert, um, but they do intend to be ready to go. By June 30th of 2019, which is now roughly, uh, well, just under a year. That's right. That's July now. Geez, yeah. the time the, this year is flying. Um, Airbnb now has 4,000 employees per TechCrunch.com yeah. uh, and is profitable on an EBITDA basis. So some costs were moved so on a gap basis, probably still running a deficit. But in startup land, EBITDA positivity is essentially closeness to God. Yeah. And um, <laughs> the right. reason why this is kind of out and about, people kind of know that Airbnb is doing well financially. We've known that for a long time. Uh, we've known that big, but the fact that they're going to change their comp structure a bit because they're so old, yeah. they're running into some problems. So The idea is they're going to eliminate the one-year vesting cliff for equity grants for previous service to the company, and they're going to give current employees more options about how to take future comp. They can take cash or equity. And you, Jay, are the late-stage guy here. So what is going wrong in the state of Denmark, and why is it rotten? Well,
2: the the issue is that right now, if you look at uh, the amount of option pool that we have to provide to employees on a yearly basis... Has gone from like four to five percent to about six to ten percent a year
0: of the company's of the, the company's
2: cur- current fully diluted shares. So it is basically everybody who is a shareholder is taking you know a bath you know and to keep all the employees kind of happy and motivated and you know as a as a private company you don't have the luxury of what a lot of public companies are doing which is you know even though they have 6% or 8% of stock based compensation expense they are using buybacks using their cash to actually hide some of that stuff right and you know and because the public markets don't like that so as a company goes towards being a public ipo company they have to figure out how to bring down that stock-based compensation to something that ISS kind of likes, which is about 4% or 5%, right? That's really interesting. And I think this is one of, you know, one of the tricks that people use, it's not really a trick, but everybody does that, is you know, as you go towards uh, becoming a public company, you stop giving RS, uh, uh, options mm-hmm. and start giving RSUs. Mm-hmm. And this is the next step, you know, which is like, okay instead of RSUs, I'll give you cash compensation, you know. So and an is
1: sh- being restricted stock, restricted stock units. units,
2: right? And and there's some issues with that because you know when you get a restricted stock unit, it's almost like a income, and you actually have to pay income tax on mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. Right. right? So it is uh, you know a little bit of a, a little bit of a hardship on on the employees, and then your companies kind of compensate for that. But on the other hand, it actually does not dilute you as
1: much. But but it's it's so, so interesting. I didn't really think about the, the perspective of why they needed to reduce the pool, but this also very much to keep employees company. So, you know, uh, people listening will know this, but it used to be that a company would, you know, you would sort of knew what was happening within like four or five years. A company would go public or it would die. So the company, the employees either, you know, knew they made their money and they moved on or they didn't make their money and they moved on. Now they're stuck with these companies, which I'm sure they, you know, love, but they can't, um, their their options, I, I think, you know, it's, it's very much like case by case, but a lot of these bigger companies have been very restrictive about how much their companies, their uh, employees can sell to secondary shareholders. Yeah. Uber was the most famous example of this. You know, if you were an early employee of Uber, let's say you were granted uh Shares at like you know several hundred thousands right. of dollars or maybe low millions. Yep. All of a sudden, fast forward your uh, your uh, equity. I mean, the good news is it's worth maybe tens or even, maybe even hundreds That's of right. millions of dollars. But if you leave, yep. you have to. Uh, it's sort of like a clock starts That's ticking, right. and you have to pay first. You have to buy the uh, what you earned at the outset, so that you know those tens of thousands are over a million dollars. Uh, then you have what until like uh, tax time to sort of pay tax on the rest. So if it's like tens of millions of dollars and you're paying tax on that, but the company hasn't gone public yet, so you don't have the liquidity, you're screwed.
0: Yes, I'm doing that math at my job right now, actually. (laughs) (laughs) I happen to work for a Series B funded company and uh, I got to learn all about the tax implications of options. It's scary. uh, It's not not great. And if you have a good lawyer, alexcrunchbase.com, need some help. uh, (laughs) Help me out. Uh, But here's the thing. Airbnb turns 10 in, I think, August. August of this year. Yeah. Is there anything around the 10-year window mark that matters when it comes to comp, or is that a relatively cosmetic uh, milestone? It, the cross? it
2: depends on how the option uh, pool and, you know, the option agreement is set up. Because there are some companies where you might have 10 years to vest before you actually have to buy the options. Like a lot of, you know, so that might be a club really? that's... Really? that thick. long? are yeah, So, you know, because, you know, the, the company you know, or sometimes you have, like, you know, Uh, Four years, right? The typical thing is four years. So, you know, there might be whatever, like, you know, once you are granted the option and Mm -hmm. it's vested, you have 10 years to buy it, and maybe they are hitting up against that clock that people have to do. But I think it's more the stock-based compensation issue that they're hitting, you know, going up against as being a public company. Yeah, that's really
0: interesting. I hadn't thought about that. So last point about this, we do this too much, but like, they're going to be, quote, ready to go public on, you know, June 30th of next year. They're already EBITDA positive. They've been around for 10 years. Uh, there's been like eight books written about them. I've read one of them. Why, <laughs> why can't they go public now? The markets are great. IPO window is totally open. Well,
1: they need to – first, they don't have a CFO. Right. They don't have a CMO. They need to beef up their – they need to get some more independent that's board directors. That's um, but, I mean – like,
2: Sorry. Look, we have been through a number of IPOs, right, like Nutanix and MuleSoft and 5.9. You know, and and, and, and it, it's a process that takes about 18 months if you you first of all have to get all your books audited right so you know i don't know if they don't have a cfo how they're going to actually get the you know get an audit uh, you know like kpmg or pwc come and audit their books so that the sec is okay with that mm-hmm. right they they have to go through the whole compensation committee where you know they have to figure out who they are going to co- compensate what you know the CEO and the whole management team and you know and the directors and things like that so there is a lot of like you know minutia involved in actually going public sure. uh, and that is like an 18 month process right and i think
1: they also want to make a much bigger or expand their footprint in china so yeah. maybe they want to spend more money than public shareholders right. would be excited about them right. dedicating toward that right. right now so right. i have no idea
2: but i think my it. my big question you know i'm not an investor i don't know it, that many people there is whether they will use the same route as Spotify. Oh, just do a direct listing? Just a direct listing. Because, I, yeah, oh, that
1: would be. I just Intrigue. got very excited. Because, <laughs>
2: because, you know, I think, you know, we are more enterprise-oriented investors, right? So none of our portfolio companies can ever do a direct listing. Because, you know, try to explain MuleSoft to a direct, you know, investor. They, like, have no idea. What is this, a mule animal? What the hell does it do? <laughs> but Spotify, with a lot of, you know, brand recognition, is a perfect, you know, example of how you can do a direct listing. And it was a very successful direct listing, right? And does Airbnb, I, I would say Airbnb, Uber, and Lyft are probably the other three or four candidates in that category which has a brand across the world that can go public as a direct listing. I mean, they will go do, I don't know right
1: but it's an interesting press Spotify's
2: point. doing
0: great they're yeah. at 176 and 44 cents at yeah. the end of trading today that's right and uh, that's darn close to an all time high that's right so they kind of cracked the mold there that's right and, uh, and you know the banks did okay too from what I remember the banks did fine uh, which more, was the joke <laughs> of the whole thing why are you doing this if <laughs> the banks are still going to get paid Yeah. because uh, I think bankers always get paid somehow yeah. gotta, that's
2: the right the magic Just of that the, industry. the
1: proximity to the money
0: oh so these yeah, kind of yeah, latch on to the side of this that's right
1: they're the barnacles of cash
2: yeah but you know and the interesting thing was that you know people thought that it would be more the retail investors that would come into Spotify, but what happened was it was actually the fidelities and the Tiro prices, the typical public market buyers all ended up in there because their LPs were saying, "How can you be uh, you know uh, growth investing mutual fund and not have us positioned in Spotify?" So it, it didn't really affect them in any way, the the marketing or anything that. So the number the investors that came in were the same that would have happened if they didn't do a direct listing. Right.
0: But to underscore your point, you have to have a big consumer brand to drive Absolutely. interest in your offering. You That's can't right. just direct list if you are MuleSoft mule soft or I, I, Jello I, I, Donkey. I, I, exactly. Sure. Okay. The so Jello Donkey. Well, <laughs> it, it, it would be a soft mule. I was trying to figure out somebody to make a joke about that. Um, MuleSoft, of course, was acquired uh, after when public uh, for a huge I, multiple,
2: and it I had a great IPO. But you know, and, and it was you know they did the way that typically IPOs are done. Uh, I know, and that was the right way to do it for them. Well, uh,
0: that's because all their numbers were good. They, when they filed, everyone went, oh, this will work. And then surprisingly, it did. And then everyone wanted to buy it. That's right. It was the weirdest, like, two part dual track I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, moving on to other big rounds, though Automation Anywhere. Yeah. A 15 year old robotics company has raised a $250 million Series A. That's right. Fascinating. Which so is you don't see enormous.
1: this. It is enormous. You don't see it all of the time. Um, so the company. Yeah, first institutional round. These yeah. guys, I think, were all, the four founders maybe yeah. lived in, you know, India. Yeah. I think the company now is in Santa Jose San, San Jose or something okay, San Jose. San Jose, yeah. So you... Yeah, you so so look, to- we
2: we we know this space yeah. really well, right? Yeah. The, the whole point is that, you know, you have BPOs, right? Where you have somebody in... BPOs? Philip- BPOs, Business Process Outsourcing. Okay. Which is people in India or Philippines kind of do data processing, data entry, things like that. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of companies, in you know, Automation Anywhere and UiPath, to be you know that that's another one that actually has also raised uh, money. I think from you know a couple of uh, Silicon Valley investors. Okay, uh, they are basically going in and saying, Hey, why are you paying somebody 50k, 60k, you know, in doing these processes? Mm-hmm. We are going to go and automate that whole thing. And, you know, one thing, and they're doing it at maybe 20% of the price that you Whoa. would pay uh, an A actual person. person in, like, you know, in Philippines or, you know, or, or, or India or somewhere like that. And the other thing is that it's more secure, right? Now all the processes, all the data that was going outside the country is now all going to stay within wherever you are. So it actually makes it, you know, very kind of, you know, for big enterprises. That's,
1: That's interesting. Can you sort of expound on that last point? Why is it staying? So, so
2: because of the, when you do the process automation, mm-hmm. instead of having somebody in some outside the U.S. or outside I of see. Germany mm-hmm. kind of having access to this data, you know, this process is just running in your data center or, you know, on a secure. And, you know, and it's doing exactly the same thing. You know, it's basically automating this dull kind of task that a lot of people do, you know. And, and that's why they're... And,
1: and across like a bunch of sectors, right? Like insurance, finance. Everything.
2: Insurance, telecommunication, anything that, you know, you need to take data from, say, you know, your user from one part of your CRM system and mm-hmm. put it into your financial system. You know, people do that all day long. And these guys, these uh, companies, our bots, are, bots are, are doing that how, for them. How
1: do they work exactly? So it's like natural language processing or AI. I mean, I don't really understand how At, they, at this
2: point, mm-hmm. it's very simple. Mm-hmm. They kind of go and look at the application that's out there mm-hmm. and see what the user types in, and they do kind of exactly the same thing, and, mm-hmm. and kind of, you know, so they are, they're work. basically replicating keystroke by keystroke what the user does right now. okay, And over time, they're going to make it more sophisticated and they're already on their way to do that uh, so that they understand as the application changes, you know, things change, they might put in put in you know new ways to d- automate the process. But right now it is very simple. So
0: we talk a lot in this country about factory automation and the reduction of jobs inside of factories. This is kind of the digital equivalent of that. Is That's that right. a good way to think I, about this? Exactly. Although the company
1: insists that because they make people more efficient and they're sort of cutting out on things that people don't need to be wasting their time doing that they I think they I saw them ar- sort of argue that they're not taking jobs away that they're actually sort of creating more jobs but this is
2: this not, is but. definitely taking jobs away from yeah. BPO,
1: <laughs> despite what the company this, says oh, but so this is, is <laughs> despite this, this, yeah, is, this yeah. is
2: not you know this is not like knowledge workers right you know this is more kind of low level but it is like you know I know somebody said they they used to spend 60 million the CIO said they spent 60 million with a with a BPO and they have cut that down and spending now 10 million uh, with one of these providers,
0: so uh, uh, dozens of millions of dollars a year in savings. <laughs> That's so right. that means automation anywhere can carve out a pretty nice margin, I presume, on that revenue. That's what, right.
1: It, I thought was interesting. I so I read this funding was done at a one point eight billion dollar valuation, but then I I, I think the, the company itself released a market study that said the space it's operating in is going to be worth five billion by twenty twenty four, which seemed kind of it's small.
2: small. Uh, fair enough. Yeah, I I, I didn't see that. I, I saw the one point eight billion number. I don't know the space, but I was tell you that the the business process outsourcing space is hu- humongous. It's like, you know, 20 billion, 30 oh, billion, right? So That's right, right? So a lot of those things these are, you know, not like everything is going to go away, mm-hmm. but a lot of the really trivial kind of processes that people do, you know, especially large enterprises are all going to be done by these, you know, RPAs.
0: Right. I'm kind of curious how much hand-wringing we should do about this because this came up when I was actually at TC, there was uh, some software that was going to come out and write earnings reports. And uh, if you've never done an earnings report, it's pretty dull, but it's fun if you like that sort of thing. And I wrote an article actually on TC. I'll link it in the post uh, for this episode, but uh, I was kind of excited about it because I thought the bots could take the humdrum part of reporting, like EPS of 8 cents versus expectations, and then I could do the other bit. It would help me Actually, be better at my job and faster because I don't mind giving up the stuff that is
2: actually sure, so right. churn and burn. That's I, right. I
1: think some outlets are using that. Is it? I don't.
0: I would not be surprised. Yeah. I, I think Nasdaq.com uh, uses actually like that. Actually, we have
2: a company called Narrative Science uh, oh, that right. b- basically does that mm-hmm. for Moody's reports and S and P reports and okay. things like that for all the you know the debt stuff. They'll take the you know kind of the release and create kind of you know a like a template and, and, and sure. you know like an article out of it. Right. That's
0: that's brilliant. Yeah, but, that, but that doesn't bother me. But I think in this case, if this does disrupt BPOs enough. In the short term, to leading to you know massive amounts of, of layoffs, that's going to be a human cost and uh, a very negative one. But the prog- the line of progress though seems very plain.
2: That's right. That's right. You know, unfortunately, you know, it's just uh, just like everything else. You know, it goes the knowledge worker, the bar, or whatever. You know, you just have to be better trained and better skilled, and you know, all, yeah. you know, just the things that we talk about. Because you can't really stop the progress of technology. Sure. You know, whatever technology brings, the bad and the and the good. Right? Enterprises are going to do this because they are you know beholden cost to their shareholders. Same. Yeah. Right, right. So they have to. There's no way they can't do this.
0: So we have just time for one last thing, which is uh, the first time I think we've talked about the teens on equity. Uh, and there's a company called Juul, which is spelled J-U-U-L, uh, which makes kind of like e-cigarette products. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it's called vaping if you're not in the know with the cool kids. And uh, there's been a lot of controversy about this uh, for two reasons. One, Juul is raising a pile of money yeah. at an enormous valuation. And two, people are saying that teens are turning to jewel products to, to vape and therefore consume nicotine uh, in mass quantity. And I pulled some data on this um, from HHS in our government and really if you think if you look at like teenage smoking rates they're down just dramatically since 1995 so in 95 if if I'm reading the chart correctly one quarter of 12th graders in America smoked it's now six percent and 10 percent of 8th graders smoked in 95 those are traditional cigarettes though. traditional cigarettes so there's been this massive improvement in this country when it comes to health uh, and smoking smoking is very bad for you if you didn't know and so people are concerned now that Juul which makes uh, consuming nicotine uh, very easy and discreet, we'll kind of push back on that. But the numbers are good. Yeah. But I wanted to, before we get to that, do we have any moral complaints against this company? Because, Connie, you're a, you're, you're a parent, right? I'm a
1: parent. I've got two kids who, thankfully, are a little bit too young for this. But I do sort of think, wow, in a few years, I mean, apparently it's going on pretty, you know, yeah. uh, ubiqui- ubiquitously across high schools. I think something like 20% of, of uh, high school, maybe seniors or juniors, have said that they've tried Juul yeah. or va- vaping. Maybe yeah. not Juul specifically, sure. although Juul has a huge market share, like 60%. Yep. Um, I I don't know. I don't. I don't. I can't form an opinion on whether or not it's good or bad. I mean, I. I it's concerning you know the big sort of knock against this company and we did talk about it a couple of weeks ago Alex when you were not here Oh, I'm uh, sorry. no no it's okay right. it's a fascinating right. company um is it has the sort of like flavor profile so mint and dessert and mango and so parents are like well of course it's going to appeal to kids it's right. not you know um but uh it, yeah it's it's sort of like uh the biggest consumer company that nobody out here can fund right. uh the the um, company that's leading the, the round right now, so reportedly it's raising a billion dollars at a $15 billion valuation, and Tiger Global Management, which is a hedge fund that also does venture investing, oh. is leading the round. This is super interesting. This is an underreported fact uh, I think the, the information I picked up uh, a couple weeks ago, and it's sort of talking about it. So one thing I was talking about is Jewel has um, – Secondary shares are already trading on this company, and Tiger has been bu- in buying them up. I don't know if it's early uh, employees or sh- or uh, yeah. you know early investors, but they also have a, a right of first refusal, oh. which I think is fascinating. So now, if anybody wants to buy uh, secondary shares, they have to like Go. potentially sell them to Tiger yeah. first. And it already has more than six percent of the company, yeah. I think, or uh, it could be. Uh, not, I could be confusing that with Fidelity, uh, yeah. which is the mutual fund giant, yeah. which yeah. also interestingly is a big investor in yeah. this company. Yeah. It Ooh. bought shares at like. 300 million dollars and now of course if they are worth 15 billion, you know, that's a huge uh, win already. That's massive. Yeah, that's yeah it's this is this, this company is really really fascinating on well, so many levels. Let me
0: bring in some of the numbers and then we can talk about that's how right. I feel about this because a 15 billion dollar valuation for a vaping company sounds very dumb and I understand why you're thinking that. But uh, in 2017, according to Primac over at Axios, they had 245 million in revenue up from 60 million in 2016. Wow. So 4x. Yeah. But this year, they're projecting $940 million oh. in revenues. They're going to essentially quadruple again. Yeah. And crazy enough, 70% gross margins and their 2018 EBITDA projections are a quarter billion dollars. So this year, they should generate as much EBITDA as they did revenue mm-hmm. last year. And um, I, I jokingly called this, you know, the unicorn that you wish you had founded because these are software and SaaS level gross margins That's right. with a product people keep buying because right. it mm-hmm. turns out you're addicted. You keep buying them. I do. And well, you, you buy
1: the hardware and then you buy these packs of... The jewel packs. Yeah, of, yeah. The uh, gas Like Printer, Printer mm-hmm. ink, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, HP was half my town growing up. So yeah, I'm familiar with
0: that <laughs> <laughs> economic stuff.
2: But the, the company just seems to be super strong. Yeah.
1: Jay, is, is this something that Sapphire would ever invest? No,
2: so we would not, right? So as a partnership... Look, we we try to invest in companies of consequence, but you know at least hopefully they do good things, mm-hmm. right? But uh, I have a 13 year old and an 11 year old, right? And at some point you can't stop them from doing what you know. It's like you're you're a parent and you have to kind of you know do the right thing if you're you know and make sure that they don't get addicted to vaping or whatever. But if they do, that is you know their choice. At some point when they turn 18, they're going to do whatever they want. So I, you know, I don't think that you know that we should be saying that why is somebody investing in them? You know, mm-hmm. they have great financial metrics. If it's fine with them and their LPs and they are not worried about, you know, that saying hey the impact it might be having. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, some of these things just like cigarettes, like if you make it known that hey, look, vaping can cause be addictive, it can cause health issues and the way that, you know, it gets taxed here somehow make sure that the price you know, because the problem I have is that, you know, if somebody uh, does vaping and gets addicted, and then the rest of the society has to pay for their health care, mm-hmm. that, that, you know, if we can mitigate that, you know, I, I don't think as a, as a, you know, personally, why shouldn't Tiger Global or Fidelity invest in them? They have great financials. Well,
0: think about it from the other side. It isn't just people starting to Juul and then getting addicted. Like, people like me who smoked for years, yeah. I've now essentially not smoked real cigarettes in the last, like, three weeks. Yeah. Which is awesome for my health. So, yeah. do you, do
1: you feel that you have to vape? Do you sort of have the?
0: I mean, after six p.m., my nicotine cravings kicking. So I don't smoke during mm. the day, but after six p.m. when I get home, I can now jewel, I guess, instead yeah. of smoke Camel Crushes, yeah. which is much better for my health, and I don't smell awful. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't spread secondhand smoke yeah. everywhere. I go. So I really respect the moral argument, especially yeah. from the teen perspective. But the other side of this is for folks like me who are smoking yeah. just actual cigarettes. What a great improvement yeah, yeah, in my life. Yeah. It's harm reduction. Yeah. It's not perfect, sure. but it's yeah, certainly and that's, better. And
1: that's why the founders kind of came up with it. I think it was initially come, uh, created, the vaporizer, like in 2003, yeah. somewhere in maybe. Did we go to Chicago? I'm sorry
2: well, do you know if they were out of Chicago I hope they were these would. guys yeah um,
1: I'm, no, no no it was two Stanford graduate okay. design students okay. who <laughs> were smoking and <laughs> came up with this design so, <laughs> students yeah design smoking. students well I mean it's Too a beautiful long. product you I know? know I yeah. mean uh, whatever you want to say about yeah, it it's a beautiful right. product so um, yeah I think the vape, vaping itself was discovered possibly in Korea in 2003 yeah. and these guys a few years later yeah. came up with this product and they've actually had a few companies they had a company called Plume that they sold they had Pax Labs yeah. and the Pax still uh, is a product that's you know, very popular, yeah. but you smoke weed and yeah. the loose leaf uh, tobacco, I think, yeah. through it. And this is, they decided with um, Jewel just to have a strictly uh, tobacco-based yeah. That probably makes product.
0: their accounting a lot easier if they're yeah. two separate companies. But that is, uh, we're a bit over time, so we're going to call it. Okay. We'll be back next week, so hang tight, and uh, happy Friday, everybody. Bye. 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 Thanks. All right, everybody, thank you for listening, and a big thank you to Matthew Lindley, Connie Loizos, our producer Christopher Gates, our executive producer Henry Pickovet, and we will see you all right here next week.